Welcome to Indoor Voices, presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. Join us as we explore the great indoors and talk to experts about how to improve our indoor environments. Welcome to another Indoor Voices brought to you by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. Today is going to be a fun episode because we've got Anna Pinto with us to discuss healthcare design. Definitely not a topic that I'm super familiar with, but but Anna is going to give us a lot of good information on that today. So Anna, I'd love for our guests to kind of warm up with the topic of designing for health or healthcare design. So will you back up a little bit maybe and give us a little bit of your background and how you got into designing for health? Well, I've um, been in this industry for a long time, but I started designing a healthcare environments in the probably early 90s, 1990. And um, I've seen an incredible progression of the design um, back in from the 1990s to where we are seeing right now. And um, healthcare design, it is uh, it comes from a very empathic point of view. You need to understand what's going on in the environment, but so is everybody else. You know, any, anyone who designs, um, it, it comes with understanding who the users are. But it, it goes a little extra in here because right now we are really looking into evidence-based design very much like evidence-based medicine um, that is a, error, a trial and error, and then you collect data. Likewise, we're doing, uh, we've been doing this from 1985 or so, collecting data and doing a, um, experiments to make sure what we're doing have positive outcomes in the experience of your process of healing. And, um, and that goes from um, the staff to now more than ever, how much attention we're paying to our staff because they are our heroes and, and they work on some incredible conditions. But we we approach the, the entire experience from the moment of arrival into the campus um, uh, and, and then into when you are in a hospital um, being treated. And, and one more thing is usually, you know, we compare sometimes at a hospitality. When you go to a hotel or a resort, you're also happy to be there and look forward to the respite time and all everything that you arrive at the resorts grab all your senses. Well, we try to do the same thing in a healthcare environment, except that either you're in pain, your loved one is in pain, and the only happy occasion is to have a baby. You know, the rest uh, it requires pain. Management, I guess, yes. Yeah, no, listen, I can already tell you're super passionate about this topic. And I've heard you say that designing for health kind of moved you from success to purpose and significance. Why is that? Well, all this started back um, in the 1990s. I guess my first project was a bone marrow transplant unit. And, and I needed to understand why these patients were spending 30 to 40 days in this room, isolation. Um, if you go in, you have to be completely gounded. And I understood this because their immune system is completely depleted when you are going through the bone marrow transplant. And um, so I put myself on their shoes. So what would I like to see or do if I have to be in the same room for 30 days? And, um, and then we uh, just approach things like the bathroom. And, um, you know, entering a bathroom that looks like in a spa bathroom or a resort, it makes you feel a little better, more human, I guess. And um, so we, we touch points in that and uh, exchangeable artwork. And after that, I felt 
such a commitment to make these environments the possible best environments for those who are going through a trying times physically. Because um, it's, it's also been proven that when you're going through a healing process, medicine alone is not good enough. You need to have a balance with your mind and your spirit or your soul in order for you to get the strength and the courage to say, I am going to beat this in the case of cancer. Um, it, it requires that hope and that um, courage in your spirit to keep on doing this. And the built environment really helps you a lot to find that, not to feel like you are in an institution or you are not a person. And so I felt that um, even though I was not a doctor or a nurse, I feel like I could help those patients through my design and to end the healing process. And it's when I move from um, feeling that I was successful because, you know, all of us here are successful. And you're right, most of us, you know, we have a roof over our shoulders. We have food. Um, you know, we all have issues, but for the most part, we are okay and we are successful if you compare ourselves to the rest of the world. But then it's that switch to having significance for me. It's now my work had purpose. And then the commitment becomes, and then I wanted to learn everything about the illness and, and healthcare and how do we do a better environment every time. And I'm sure you run up against all different kinds of care from birthing centers to bone marrow transplants, like you mentioned. What kind of principles underlie designing for health when you're looking at those different types of care? Well, we always have the underline of designing uh, to maximize the operational efficiency and the patient's safety. So those are, are like the baseline. And then when it comes to interiors, we also, it doesn't matter where, what type of care you are providing. It is always uh, giving non-porous materials. Um, so materials that nothing lives on and nothing uh, grows in you know, bacteria and understanding, you know, the, the flow of the air. Uh, that is extremely important how, you know, the airflow in any healthcare environment is it's incredibly important. And lighting, you know, all of these elements go equally uh, to, to everything that we do. It could be from um, birthing center to a... Um, ICU intensive care unit to a pediatric, those are like the basic um, elements that you get through it. Um, and then just making sure, you know, space planning is really the key in, an, in any healthcare environment that we do have a very clear planning. And um, we do in, in healthcare design what we call the seven uh, flows of design. And it is uh, how supplies come, how they go, how staff comes, how they go, how the cleaning, um, you know, everything to make sure there are certain things to not cross the patients or the family. Uh, so we have back of the house and front of the house, but that's more like for the entirety of the of the building. But that is applicable to every type of design that you do in healthcare. So there's so many aspects to this and these projects you take, you take on seem massive, right? So <laughs> from so many different aspects of design, do you have different teams for those different aspects? Yes, we do. Well, in this aspect, yes, we do work with our um, medical uh, planning and, um, and equipment planning as well. 
Yes, and uh, of course, our architects uh, work very closely uh, integrated between um, the teams. And um, it is, uh, we all more, we do understand everyone who works in healthcare understands all of those principles, regardless of whether you're a medical planner or you're an interior designer or a project manager or architect. We also have uh, researchers within our own company and also nurses, uh, former nurses, because they inform us a lot, you know, and also when we're meeting with the users, the nurse, nurses help a lot. and. Um, and we do have a lot of studies and, and with research that we go into understanding what are the outcomes that we want, what are the patient journeys, what are those points of contact that we need to address uh, to optimize the, their experience. So we, we do have a lot of expertise touching one project. Yeah, yeah. And you, you actually brought this up to me in one of our collaboration sessions, this idea of, of throughput, right? So could you tell us about throughput and then how that might be different for hospital staff versus patients? Well, and the, the throughput is, um, is, is the term says it, right? It is um, usually most of our patients are, uh, are recruited through the emergency department. So what we call it throughput is we need to make sure, um, you know, if we, the emergency room, flows very easily and um, and then we have triage of course for those who might be coming with a cold and the other one with a broken arm and the other one with a heart attack are all different levels of the treatment and then the, they're assessed of who are going to stay there and sometimes we have an in-between that it is uh, it's called a 23-hour space and it, or if you're going to be um, in um, admitted into the hospital. And um, so the throughput is to make sure then whoever, if we have not enough beds, that we are those people who are leaving the hospital, leave the hospital on time. So the ones who are coming in can go into the patient room and they don't sit and wait into the exam room while the, the um, emergency waiting area is completely full because we can, you know, rotate our rooms. So we do have, that is so... The throughput of, of an emergency department is the key. And, and it's the same thing we go through operating rooms, anything that it is operational flow, that, that the operational flow goes smoothly so um, nothing gets back up. There we go. There we go. So, so I'm a building service contractor, right? And, uh, and I, when I, if I call in a hospital or I call in a big facility, I'm usually going to talk to those that are in facilities. Um, so what role do they play? Because I feel like as a building service contractor, when I go visit them, they're kind of in the dungeon of the hospital. What, what role I does know. facilities play in their healthcare design? <laughs> I don't know why they always end, end up in the dungeons or the, the lower levels. I, I just feel terrible for them because facilities, um, especially for where we do an interior design, they are the key of our success. They know, they take care of this building. And it is our duty as designers to give them a building that is going to be resilient to the harsh chemicals that they use to clean. And that is not going to make their work harder, but that maybe an operating room, if we design it correctly and it is cleanable, and then we can turn the operating room 45 minutes earlier than everything else, we might have another surgery there. But our facilities really guide us through a lot of things because they leave this every day. They are cleaning it. They um, 
and replacing um, wall protection if something went wrong. They're, they're constantly maintaining these, host, these facilities. So we work very closely with them. If we are introducing something new that they're not used to, we send materials for them to do a mock-up and then test it, clean it the way they clean it, um, abuse it, do, do whatever you need to do. And usually we ask them, give us the freight elevator because that freight elevator is the, <laughs> the worst. And then you, you knowing that, okay, this floor is going to be in a patient room or in a patient corridor, not in a freight elevator, but if it sustains that abuse, then we know we have a good floor. And then, so we do work very closely with all of our facilities. We learn what are the chemicals that they use to clean and we test them all to make sure anything that we give them and the investment that they have made into this, the furniture or the flooring and everything else, it is worthwhile. All right. So I've, I know that lighting for any type of Zoom call or even what we're on now is pretty essential. But, but lighting is even more essential when it comes to design. And I usually think of it from two portions, right? Artificial light and then natural light. Can you tell us how both are taken into consideration for designing for health? Yes. Um, I do believe that the most important element of design element for any design, regardless of what you're designing, is the lighting. And a mixture between artificial lighting and natural lighting is really um, essential. And um, natural lighting uh, and exposure to nature or exposure to natural lighting is incredibly important for our circadian rhythm. And artificial lighting, in the case of a hospital, is extremely important because it needs to be a little cooler uh, for the doctors to see whether you're bruising, whether, you know, something is not, your skin color is different. That tells you a lot of things about your medical um, um, status. So what we do is we mix both of them. And we are right now starting to introduce circadian lighting into the nurse stations, especially for those nurses who has the night shift. And um, because it is very important for them, it has shown, um, and there is a lot of research being done in the second shift factories, that those individuals have uh, more health problems when you have the night shift and the day shift, and all of that is because exposure to the light. And so we are uh, understanding that and protecting our, our precious staff um, and then giving them circadian lighting so they are healthier and their well-being is, uh, we optimize their well-being. There you go. I love it. So most folks probably assume that natural light is also better for patients recovering in a hospital than artificial light. But could you unpack that for us from your perspective? Well, there has been a lot of research done research whether you're exposed to the natural light or not. Um, it makes um, um, a point in your recovery. Um, Dr. Aldrich did this study in a cardiology unit where um, everyone with almost the same type of uh, procedure, they put some patients uh, exposed to natural lighting and um, at the outs just looking at the outdoors. And then other patients not exposed to the natural lighting in their recovery. And they proved that those that they had access to natural lighting needed less medicine and they left the hospital a day earlier. And those that they were not, they needed more medicine and they stay um, a day and a half longer. And, um, and this has been proven. So that's, again, evidence-based design. 
So from then on, uh, and then with our infection right now, infection preventions, um, we also have proven we used to have a lot of our hospitals or hospitals were two rooms, uh, two people per room. Now that has changed since the 1980s. Any new construction, it is one patient per room, and that is exactly for infection prevention. Um, so nothing, and then also privacy, that we did not have that before. And so that's how we are we're approaching the different things right now. So I've shotgunned like a bunch of questions at you, but, but maybe I will draw some stuff out from you as to what you're looking at in your field. So what's the latest conversations in healthcare design? Well, right now, this pandemic has really thrown a wrench on everything, right? Right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, our hospitals never stop, no, like retail stop, restaurants stop. <laughs> well, our hospitals never stop. They did stop, um, of course, they stopped some uh, elective surgeries. But for the most part, it, it was not. So I think right now, and there the, are a lot of policies changing right now. And, um, and we, we're just looking, right now we're in a pivotal moment into what is happening because there is one good thing about hospitals. They're always being designed to be resilient to uh, infections, you know, to uh, prevent infections, transmissions. And so we have that already going from the get-go. And then they have upped all of the cleaning. Um, right now, before we used to have the cleaning be after hours and kind of hidden. And now it's like, oh, no, you're cleaning during the day, putting this is clean because people need to be reassured that it's clean. So so right now we are in a transition. We are looking um, in, in how we can adapt spaces. There is not ICU beds right now. So how can we convert and adapt our patient rooms beds into ICUs or you know, it's a maybe an initial thing. So we are looking at adaptability of spaces, um, you know, throwing it really far out there. I mean, especially when they close a lot of things in the in the um, hospitals, like the cafeteria was not functioning. So why can we turn that into, um, you know, maybe putting patients there when we had so many that we were going into warehouses, you know, to for the, the cases going up. So we are looking um, at, at resiliency and adaptability of spaces, that is, spaces are not only designed for this particular element, but it could be adapted in the future for A, B, or C. How about material health? Is that a hot topic? I know you mentioned infection control. Yes, we are right now looking at a lot of uh, healthy materials. And um, it is basically, a, we follow NHKS, the precursionary principle, which is do no harm. So we are really looking, and, and there is a lot of organizations right now that they are um, adapting the healthcare um, healthy environment. And, um, and with that is we're going through a lot of um, understanding product transparency, very much like your labels when you um, buy a bag of, or buy, buy some Cheerios and it shows so many sugars, so many fats, so many grains, everything else. We're asking the same thing of our materials. If it's this floor, tell me what you have. You know, do you have, if you have any phosphates, well, that's not so good. It's, you know, you've heard about um, lead paint or um, asbestos, you know, those chemicals were very good for durability. I mean, you paint something with lead paint and it stayed there for 50 years and the same thing as asbestos, hard as it can be. However, they found out through the years is very harmful for uh, lungs and your endocrinology system. 
So we're taking also, there is other, like maybe around eight chemicals right now of concerns that we're looking at. And then we're asking our manufacturers and all of those chemicals are like formaldehyde. They are in some of our materials. And it's like, we don't want them. And especially for healthcare, we already have an immune compromised customer. How can we give them something that is going to accelerate or make them sick about, you know, because uh, odors um, or adhesives? So we're really looking into all of our materials that make sure they are healthy. Um, so for product transparency, uh, they are certified and, you know, and then just looking in overall for healthy environments. Right. No, that's great. So you have such large project teams, though, and you have to work with so many different folks. I mean, do you find that everybody is usually on board with material transparency and, and costs and things like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we, we don't. Uh, we do find ourselves educating a lot, our facilities department, educating them quite a bit and our contractors. Um, now, we luckily, these materials that we are offering or they're offering they're no more expensive than any other material uh, because the budget sometimes budget drives everything. And uh, so, but we do, we find people educating people. Um, I mean, I know the design team is our commitment is our mandate that uh, this is why we're doing it, but it's a matter of educating uh, subcontractors too. It's like, you know, I know you're used to installing this floor. This is going to be different. So it might require a little bit of training, but the reason we're doing it is because A, B, or C, and then you explain to them. And, and the owners actually are good because, I mean, tell me who's going to say no to a healthy environment. No one. They say, would you like a healthy environment? Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's not a question, but it is, um, it's more the logistics and education and, and why the reasoning, why are we doing this? Okay, so you had mentioned something before that I want you to unpack a little bit more too, because when it comes to design, sometimes I feel like when the building's done, it's static and that's it. However, you had mentioned earlier that design is actually being tied to certain outcomes. So could you tell us how you plan outcomes within design? Yes. Um, first, you need to develop the criteria on what you want to change or improve in the environment or the outcome, improve Maybe you want to reduce the steps that the nurses walk every day, or you want to improve medical errors, or you want to improve um, resting, and you know, so that will be very much into the noise. You know, what can we do to mitigate that noise? Um, little things like um, the click of the door in the um, when you enter the patient unit. You know that, and if, what if you're in the patient room that is right next to that exit? Right. It will drive it crazy. Or oh, the beeps in the um, in your machines that you are attached to, or the nurses speaking in the nurse station. So uh, that's for noise. So how do we mitigate this? And so we, every client, have different criterias and different desired outcomes. So we learn from them what exactly is that they 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 want to improve, and then we design to improve that. And then after a year, when everybody's living on that, we come back and do um, occupancy evaluation with them and speak about it. Did this work or, or some things that, that we thought it was going to work, it worked for something else and or, or this didn't work or, you know, um, and then we might need to have some training 
for the staff to understand why we did this. We constantly have to adapt to that, but it's, we measure that. And, and, and then this is with data, with surveys. So an occupancy, you, and you go to facilities, you do surveys to the staff, service of the patients to make sure the criteria that we set up to be and the goals are now um, the outcome it happened. And then we continue to measure it. It is not only one time that we just measure it after a year to make sure it works. We need to continue and say, because that also we tied it financially. If we are, uh, you know, if our nurses were doing everything right, like let's put um, lifts in all the patient rooms, initial expensive costs, but if we minimize any of our nurses getting hurt because they try to lift somebody, so it's worth the investment. So we track that to make sure there were not any um, injuries and that uh, it, it's all equipment. So we tied our outcomes, most of it financially too, to an, a financial outcome, an improvement. You've also told me that within Designing for Health, you guys do get to digital platforms where you actually do design for telehealth. Now, from my perspective, if I'm going to look at my doctor on my phone, I'm not thinking that there's any design elements that need to go into that, but you would probably have a different answer, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, they do, especially for HIPAA and uh, privacy. So if you, when you're meeting with um, your doctor, and right now we're seeing it more than ever, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of telehealth uh, right now. And it is important to know that your information is kept confidential and no one else is listening to what you have to say. So we do have, and then it is um, spaces that make sure like no one is walking behind or, you know, or it's not noisy. So the patient knows, okay, I have the undivided attention of this individual, that it is quiet and the lighting is appropriate. And um, so we, we try to do all of those and then also to give them flexibility because to give them rooms that is not only the same room, but it's convenient for them. So we do sprinkle them everywhere. So last question for you, as fast as trends move within design, what are some things that you do to continue to stay sharp and to grow into your field? I learn from other fields okay. constantly. I looked at hospitality and how, because, you know, they do know how to lure you and to make you do this wonderful experience, of, you know, <laughs> right. but of course you, you're also, your frame of mind is like, Hey, I'm on vacation. I'm in this beautiful resort and I'm all happy. And, but but they do so many other things to take care of all the senses. You know, you enter these beautiful lobbies and you smell something that is like, oh, this is just glorious, you know, but the shampoo smells the same way. So um, it creates a really seamless experience and an enjoyable experience and a memorable experience. We want to do the same thing in our healthcare environments. We want to create memorable experience even though you were in pain. But but we know, for example, that um, in our patients, where patients want the most is to be communicated to and to be on time on everything that you need to give me when I am in the in your hospital. And, and they want to be enhanced. So, but a hospitality does that very well. And I also look over to 
um, the food and beverage industry really? and how they make these great restaurants, indoor adult restaurants. Why do we have to have this cafeteria in the indoor? Why can it be a restaurant and you feel for a little bit that you are um, escaping, even if you're a family member, into a lovely little restaurant, you know? And um, uh, so I look on that um, in, in digital to, I mean, um, the way people move um, in sports, the way that people move from uh, the tailgate party to your seats to out, it is fascinating how they move that. I mean, it, they just move thousands and thousands of people. So I just pay attention to all of those other practices. And of course, workplace um, and how do they work in an office? I've been trying to do this for nurse stations. A nurse station is actually an office within the patient unit. You don't take care of patients in there, but usually we, we design a nurse station with a barrier. Why is that? So it's not welcoming, you know, and it is protecting you're there, I'm here. And then so how to change with workplaces and create those me spaces, we spaces, and, and you know, the functionality of an office within the nurse station. So I look at workplace um, quite a bit. And um, and when it comes to materiality, I'm always looking how can we use a material that is resistant. It was designed for the floor, but why does it have to be on the floor? Why can I do it on the wall? Um, you know, so we're always pushing the boundaries of, um, of, of, of these different materials. But I do look at other industries constantly uh, to see how we can bring those things to help. No, that's great. And that's incredibly impressive, like how you look at some of those big ideas across industries to try and put them into your design. Listen, thank you so much for exploring the great indoors with us today. You've been a phenomenal guest. Thank you, dear. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and subscribe. This podcast is an audio-only version of the Indoor Voices interview series presented by Millicare Floor and Tech Southcare. You can watch the video of this interview and find other episodes at millicare.com slash indoor voices.